Thank you for joining us for the lessons from First Naz Podcast. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. May God bless the reading of his word. Well, good morning. This is unexpected. It's, uh, it's good to be here. It would be better if Pastor Ryan was here. But on Thursday late afternoon, he fell on some ice and ruptured his patellar tendon and so we, we keep praying for him. He had surgery on Friday, and, and it went well, and we praise God for that. Uh, as Alyssa and I sat yesterday with Tunisia in their living room, she said, we have lots of peace about being in Lewiston. These have not been an easy six months. If you're aware of the time it took them to sell their home in Pasco and find a home here and the transition, and then since they found that perfect home, they've only had to put a furnace and a hot water heater in it, uh, been through a handful of other, other crazy adventures, and still they're here with peace, uh, trusting that, that it's what God has, has intended for them and that they followed God's call. So we praise God for that. As we, as we move into to the last Sunday of Advent, next, next Sunday is Christmas Day, we, we celebrate the love of God for us. Um, yesterday, I, I had one of those experiences where, where you really feel the love of God. I was on the, on the phone with tech support from Sparklight because our internet was down. Uh, I was feeling the love of God in my heart. Um, it was a longer call that, than it should have been a longer call than I had hoped and, and resulted in zero internet connections fixed. Uh, but if you saw, the tech was here during brunch, so maybe there is internet in the Clark home now. Uh, as, we were, as we were on the phone for quite a while, the excellent customer service agent that I was on the phone with, Beth, was making small talk, and we were talking about if there's snow on the ground where we are, and What's happening as we prepare for Christmas? She asked, so are you ready? Are you ready for Christmas? I said, well, I mean, I, if I could download one more movie, I would be. But uh, as it is, 
getting close. No, I'm just kidding. I, I just, I, you know, are you ready for Christmas? Do you, do you get ready for Christmas? I mean, I, I just, I laughed. Um, maybe, maybe I'm ready. I, we'll find out on the 26th. We'll know by the 26th if I was ready for Christmas or not. Uh, I asked her, you know, turnabout's fair play, so I asked her, Beth, are you ready for Christmas? And she said, she said, I'm just ready for the whole thing to be over. We put a lot of pressure on Christmas, don't we? We put a lot of pressure on, on that day, on this season. We, we want the gifts to be just right. Uh, we want the menu to be a, a delight to the senses, Right? We, we want to send out the perfect Christmas card. Parenthetically, the perfect family picture that we took is the silly face picture. That's the only good one we got of all four of us this year. And uh, I don't know what that says. Uh, we, we watch Christmas movies where, where the payoff is the, uh, the kiss in the gazebo as the snow is gently falling. You know, the big city lawyer has come to town and saved the, the Christmas tree farmer from certain corporate takeover. Uh, and it's perfect, right? It's just perfect. Or the family has gathered and had the perfect Christmas meal. It was so unexpected, it was not going to happen. And then out of nowhere, everything comes together last minute for the perfect Christmas celebration, or, or it's the perfect gift has been delivered, the, that one Red Rider BB gun, which was the best gift I have ever received or ever would receive. Uh, the, we, we have these high expectations on Christmas. We, we equate the blessing of the season with those perfect people having perfect experiences, and then we look at real life. We look at real life and, and we, we wonder if our reality, if the chaos of our reality could ever measure up to achieve Christmas blessing, the, the Christmas blessing that we've seen those perfect people experience. This week we are, we are rounding the corner We've been in anticipation mode, and now we, we are staring down the barrel at Christmas. It is, it is almost here. We, we can feel the, the chill in the air with the shepherds as they watch their flocks by night. We, we can see Mary about to deliver, riding the donkey on the way into Bethlehem. We know that there is an innkeeper there with a tidy tidy stable full of sweet-smelling hay, ready to receive Jesus. Uh, and our cozy Christmas traditions have made us come to anticipate that it will all be wrapped in wonder and splendor and nostalgia, and it just makes our hearts warm, doesn't it? Most of our nativity sets are, are clean and crisp. We've got the perfect sleeping lamb there awaiting the baby Jesus. We've got even the, the song, Away in a Manger, it claims the baby Jesus didn't even cry. It was perfect. It was, it was spotless. And our familiarity with the story often sanitizes it, doesn't it? We, we forget about the bodily fluids involved in childbirth. 
We, we forget about the swollen feet of the third trimester of pregnancy. We, we tend to ignore it's a stable in an overcrowded inn where this baby is born. And we tend to sanitize kind of everything about the Jesus story, really. We, we tend to sanitize Mary and Joseph and, and the whole family. We, we tend to think that it's all perfect and all right and all good. And as we enter into Matthew chapter 1, Matthew really, Matthew is not the story of shepherds watching their flocks by night. Matthew is not the story of, of uh, Mary finding that clean stable and, and having this perfect experience of giving birth here. Uh, Matthew chapter 1 plunges us right into the messy dynamics that, that Jesus was born into. A betrothed and supposed virgin ends up pregnant. And her, her, uh, her fiancé, he tries to do the right thing, but it's messy. And so he, in trying to do the right thing in a culture and religion that says it's okay to stone a woman who is caught in adultery, he tries to, to send her away quietly. And in this mess, on the last Sunday of Advent, we, we reflect on this idea of love, this idea of love that God has for us. And so maybe despite our nostalgic feelings toward, toward the shepherds and the angels, toward the stable and, and all of the clean, sweet-smelling hay, maybe despite all this, we, we come to the right passage today in, in Matthew chapter 1 to look at the mess into which Jesus was born. Because Jesus was born into a family that had a history. Jesus was born into a family that, that had its own, its own issues. In fact, Matthew 1 doesn't begin with the story of, of the Messiah. It begins with the story before the Messiah. The, if you open your Bible to Matthew chapter 1, you discover that there is one of those long lists of names that we are apt to skip when we read at the beginning of Matthew chapter 1. And in this list of names, we, we discover... Uh, people that we think maybe maybe are disconnected from Jesus, maybe it doesn't really matter, and, and we think we're justified in, in skimming or just skipping completely. But I believe that this genealogy has, has some oddities in it that should make us, make us take pause. Uh, this genealogy has the, the mention of women in it. And genealogies of important men in the first century, they... They don't generally include women, and so that's something that should, should cause us to, to take pause. There, there are four women included by name, and then there's a fifth who is alluded to. And so the four that are included by name are Tamar and Rahab, Ruth and Mary. And then there is Uriah's wife, who we know as Bathsheba. Rahab and Ruth are women who fall outside the family line of Israel, and their stories are so inspiring that we're kind of excited that they would end up in Jesus's genealogy. It's not expected. It's not, it's not what maybe uh, would, would be the perfect scenario for an influential person, but it, it's, maybe they belong because of their story, because of the power of their story. You remember Rahab the prostitute, Rahab was, was in Jericho, and she knew that God's army that was, had been marching through the wilderness was too powerful to resist. And so she hid spies, and in, in providing space for, for those Israelite spies, uh, 
she saved her family from, from certain death. Ruth, uh, also someone outside of the family lineage of, of Israel, was a destitute widow. And her, her story of faithfulness to, to her mother-in-law, who was also a destitute widow, is, is inspiring to us and is an example of fidelity for generations to come. And so Rahab and Ruth, they kind of warm our hearts, right? They kind of warm our hearts. They make us feel good. They're, they're good stories about good women, uh, even if they don't fit in the genealogy, uh, just simply for the fact that they're women. But then we have a couple of other women that are listed here. The, the story of Tamar. Tamar and, and Bathsheba are stories of the most embarrassing failures of some of the greatest men in the family history of Jesus. Tamar is a reminder of the double failure of Judah. That is, Judah as in he, the tribe of Judah is named after him. This is an important guy in, in the family line of Jesus. And, and Tamar, the story is found in Genesis chapter 38, where, where first Judah cheats Tamar out of an heir to take care of her as she, she's a widow in, in entering her old age. But then Judah, not, not to stop at cheating a widow, he sleeps with her thinking that she's a prostitute. And at the end of the chapter, he has to admit, she is so much more righteous than I am. Bathsheba is the, the story of the greatest failure of David, as in David, he will, he will sit on the throne of David, as in the people in Jesus' day were looking for a king that would be in the model of David. This is like a really important guy in Jesus' family history. And if you, you remember the story of, of Bathsheba, it's a story of David abusing his power to rape Bathsheba and then murdering her husband to try to cover it up. And so including these women in Jesus' genealogy, you know, we could have skipped over those stories. We didn't need to be reminded of, of the greatest failures of these great men in, in the story of, of Jesus' uh, family tree. But it reminds us that, that the family, of che family tree of Jesus is not perfect. It's not, it's not perfect. It, it may be a sign that, that God is in the business of, of using families that are not perfect. That maybe God is, is capable of redeeming even, even our failures. And God's not afraid of a little bit of a mess in our lives. But not only do we see this in the, in the family into which Jesus is born, but the, the mess that Jesus was born into himself. I mean, the stable is bad enough as, as it is. The stable basically is the first century version of a garage. And I know like Doug Axe, his garage is clean enough. I would sleep in it. My garage, meanwhile, we'd need to deal with the mouse population before I'd be willing. Uh, and I, I, you know, the, the stable is not, it's not the tidy tidy place with clean, fresh hay that we imagine, I, I don't think. Uh, it, it was where the family vehicle parks, uh, but the family vehicle has particularly stinky emissions that continue, emissions that continue to emit in the stable. Uh, the, uh, and then if, if this is the inn, I mean, if this is the stable that belongs to the inn, this is a parking garage, right? I mean, this is not, this is not a clean, and this is beautiful. Uh, it's, it may not be a 
perfectly accurate description. Uh, in, in many cases, in the ancient Near East, animals in, in houses were, were kept in caves because it was an easier way to keep the animals safe from predators and from thieves. So it's very likely that Jesus was born in, in a cave. Uh, but, but apart from, from the stable itself, just consider the relational dynamics as Jesus is born. As we've read the story in, in Matthew chapter 1 here, Mary and Joseph were engaged to be married. Engagements in the first century were not like engagements today. They, there, it, was, it was a betrothal. It was, it was not, I intend to marry you. It was, we are, for all intents and purposes, married. Uh, we're just going to finish the marriage with the ceremony, and then we'll really be married. It was a contract between families. It said, Mary and Joseph, you are going to be married, like it or not. And, and so there was an exchange of, of money or goods, a dowry was paid. And, and then, in order to break an engagement in the first century, in order for, for a betrothal to, to be broken, it required a divorce. And so if, if the divorce was to happen, often divorced women were, were left with no recourse but to go back to their family of origin and depend on their, on their parents uh, for as long as their parents could support them. And so while, while they were betrothed, the husband would be preparing the home that the couple would live in. So during this period of time, Joseph was probably building a house. He was getting a place ready to, for his life, the rest of his life, with Mary. And, and so unfaithfulness in, in the betrothal, uh, it, it was grounds for stoning. Uh, Mary Mary. Joseph could have demanded that Mary be stoned. Um, she would have been viewed by her entire community as, as having been unfaithful, unfaithful to, to her, her marriage contract. And nobody would have reason to think otherwise in the community, right? There's no reason that anybody would expect. No, nobody else heard the angels singing, right? Nobody else knew what was happening with Mary, and, and even, you know, even if we think about miraculous babies being born in Scripture, you know, think about Sarah in Genesis or, or Hannah in, at the beginning of 1 Samuel. They had husbands. Even Elizabeth, you know, just a few months before, before Mary was born or was, was found pregnant, Elizabeth had a husband. And so these, these women who, who we know are miraculously pregnant it's a different situation. Nobody has a frame of reference for, for Mary, the virgin, being, being found pregnant. And so uh, Matthew doesn't tell us how Joseph found out about Mary's pregnancy. It, she probably went and told him. But maybe he heard the rumor mill around, around town, and he found out that, that Mary... He, he knew. I mean, there, there's no other explanation for a man who knows that the child isn't his. He knew that Mary had been unfaithful to him. That's the only explanation that would have made sense to him. Matthew is quick to point out Joseph's righteousness. We, we can only imagine the devastation that, that he would have felt as he, was, as he was preparing that home to take Mary into the sleepless nights, 
the heartbreak, (laughs) the sorrow and the anger, the feeling of rejection. It must have been, been palpable for him. Here he was, a guy ready to spend his life with a gal. But the righteousness of Joseph, in his righteousness, he, he, decided, he decided to divorce Mary quietly. In a culture where he could have very easily had his revenge. He could have had Mary taken out of town and stoned. And so divorcing her quietly was a compassionate choice. And it, while he is in that tension, in the middle of one of those sleepless nights... Matthew tells us that an angel appears to him. A messenger of God arrives and explains that Mary has not been unfaithful to you. This child is born of the Holy Spirit. And and Joseph hears the vision, and and we read in Matthew how he he obeys. He takes Mary and, and takes her as his wife. And when Jesus comes along, he, he does his final act of obedience, which is to name the child Jesus, as he was told by the angel. And, and with his obedience, Joseph is entrusting his own and his family's reputation to God. Because everybody would assume, well, if Joseph is willing to take her, even though she had a baby and counting the months, uh, she was pregnant before they were married, everybody would just then assume, well, it's Joseph's baby. But Joseph trusted, trusted God with, with his reputation. Joseph's faith in, big, in God was bigger than, than his fear about what people would say. And Matthew tells us that, that Jesus' birth is a fulfillment of a prophecy that, that said Emmanuel would come. Emmanuel means God with us. Uh, this act of God coming, coming to earth as a baby, we, we call the miracle of the incarnation. That's your church word for the day, the incarnation. It's, uh, it means that God has put on flesh. God has entered humanity. In Spanish, uh, you literally hear the word for meat, for flesh, uh, in that word, incarnacion. God has taken on skin and bones in a way that had never happened before. Incarnation is is about God entering humanity. Jesus enters the world, born of ordinary humans, with ordinary human struggles. Uh, it's, It's not a pristine family without issue that Jesus enters, even though we often paint them that way. Uh, Joseph and Mary's path was not easy from here on out. (laughs) Nobody else in, in the community that we are aware of received a visit from angels. Uh, the shepherds away in Bethlehem, yes, but the neighbors around Nazareth, they may have just kept on talking. And it may have been an uncomfortable few months, if not few years, where people continued to whisper about Mary and Joseph and this special baby they had. The hindsight of history allows us to, to see the big picture we know that the, the story turned out pretty well for, for Mary as, as she became a mother within the church. But it was probably an awkward period of time around the birth of Jesus. So the incarnation, it's, it's not just about Jesus being born in a stable instead of a palace. It's, it's about God's willingness to enter into the messiness of human life. 
Jesus took on humanity in all of its fullness from day one, including strange family dynamics and a family tree that maybe isn't as perfect as, as we would want, including a, a community that might have been filled with rumors and gossip. See, the love of God doesn't run away from, from our humanity, even the messes that our humanity makes. In fact, God embraces the messes that our humanity makes. We, we can have confidence that if God willingly entered into that complicated family dynamic of, of Mary and Joseph, then our, our situations, they're, they're not too much for God either. There, there's no distance that God wouldn't travel to show his love for humanity. And while our, our picture of, of the blessed Christmas may be that perfect Christmas card image with the perfect family, and, and we, we just have to remember that our God isn't tamed by, by our expectations of perfection. God isn't limited by our sanitized hopes of hallmark coziness. We... We cannot mistake comfort for blessing. And, and this, this is the God whose love is best on display through a baby born in a parking garage. So, so we dare not think that God can't take the mess of our lives and enter into it and fully embrace us right where we are, just as we are. The story of Christmas, the, the story of the incarnation, is, is a story of God who doesn't run from pain, who doesn't run from conflict, who doesn't run from, from the humanness of our lives. God fully embraces, God enters into the mess and the chaos right alongside us. So no matter where we, where we are, no matter what lies ahead? The heart of the message for today is, for God so loved the world that he sent his son into the mess. He sent his son to be right with us. That we might be known and that we might know him. We are loved. We are loved no matter the mess we find ourselves in. Because God has come to be with us. This is Emmanuel. God with us. Not God waiting until you get cleaned up enough to be worthy of his love. This is Emmanuel who is God with us. Right here, right now. As you consider what lies ahead in the next couple of weeks, you may be thinking about that strained family relationship that you haven't had to face for a year. You may be thinking about, about the craziness that, that you're, you're trying to just get, get through it. Put your head down and say, ah, if I could just, man, I can't wait for, for January 3rd when life returns to normal. Remember that God has come to, to be with you in all of it. We, the this crazy thing about God's economy and God's love is, is that God doesn't always change the mess we're in. 
In fact, I, I'm convinced that God loves us so much that he lets us just sit in the mess so we can hear his love for us more. So that the warmth of his embrace is all the greater in contrast with the, with the cold, dark world around us. God's love for us is so great that he, he is ready to be with you no matter what the next two weeks look like. He is God with us. So we're, gonna, we're going to pray. We're going to sing a song of celebration. We're going to go into this week knowing no matter what comes, no matter the mess of, that we've made, no matter the mess that's around us, we are going to walk through it with Emmanuel, God with us. Will you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for, for the hope that we have in this season. We've been looking forward. We've been looking forward to the celebration and to the, to the excitement. We've been looking forward and, and preparing uh, for, the, for the hope and the joy, for the peace, Lord. But we recognize, God, that that won't be the reality just, just because. Uh, we work for peace. We, work, we walk alongside you hoping for, for joy. But God, we know regardless of how our hearts feel, you love us. Regardless of, of what these next couple of weeks look like, God, whether we we're, have it all together or whether we're just hoping to get through, we will walk through it with you. You are Emmanuel. You are God with us. You have not brought us this far to abandon us. And so God, we know you're, you're going to step in. You're going to be there. We pray, Lord, that over these next couple of weeks, we would take time to quiet our hearts and to, to hear, hear your message of love for us. To be reminded of your goodness. We thank you, God, uh, for all the ways that you've shown it. We thank you especially for, for the gift of Jesus. As Jesus walked into to this world, um, embracing the messiness of, of his family. We pray, God, that, that you would remind us, remind us often, that you, you have wrapped your arms around us as well. You are walking with us. And so it's in the name of Emmanuel, Jesus, God with us, we pray. Amen.